church, let's just continue now in the spirit of prayer as we go before our Father, presenting our needs to him. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we come before you right now, and we need to hear from your word. There is no greater need, perhaps, that, that we could have than to hear from you, O oh God, and to have you speak to your people as you promised to speak according to your word, and to do so in a way that creates life in us, that shapes us into the image of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, right now, as we begin this part of our service, as we turn to your word, we together ask that you would work in us. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to see what your word is truly saying to us. Father, we ask that you would give us hearts that are soft according to your word and, and soft to be molded by your Holy Spirit through your word. Father, I pray that you would give me clarity of speech that I could help all of us to exalt in Jesus Christ as he's presented here. Father, we know that our church has other needs and, and we bring those to you happily, joyfully. Father, we we witness Rye's testimony, and we pray for your grace on his life. We pray that you would continue to preserve him and help him to grow. Father, we pray for anyone else here who is considering following Jesus Christ. Would you open their eyes to their need of a Savior? Father, we pray for our church body, that we would grow in godliness. Even today, as we look into your word and we see so much we see a, a picture of hospitality. God, I pray that you would make us a church that is hospitable towards outsiders, that we would grow in this. Father, we pray not only for our church, but for other churches as well, thanking you that we are not the only body meeting together at this time, studying your word. There are many faithful believers and many faithful churches that are right now putting themselves under your good authority. Father, we pray for Kendall Baptist Church down in Miami. We pray for Pastor Matt Diaz as he opens up your word this morning to 1 Samuel 1. Would you give our brother Matt the ability to speak clearly to that church? May Kendall Baptist grow in their love for Christ and their ability to reach out to their neighbors with the love of Jesus Christ. Would you mature them as we pray that you are also maturing us, O oh God. Guide us now. Open our ears to hear, we pray, as we go to your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, living in Washington, D.C. back in the fall of 2021, I regularly enjoyed walks around our nation's capital. The paradox of homelessness alongside of some of the world's most powerful people was profound. You can walk around D.C. and you can see people sleeping under tents, literally a stone's throw from some of the most powerful homes and the most powerful buildings in the world. I would regularly take a walk down around the White House where really anyone was welcome to come and walk outside. 
They were welcome to take pictures and to walk by, even to, to fall asleep within sight of this grand building. But to go inside was a whole different matter. To be a true insider in the White House is actually quite difficult. To be an insider there was what many people in the city wanted. This divide between inside and outside is all over so much of our lives, isn't it? We get VIP backstage access for events that we want to be able to witness as an insider. We have gated communities to ensure only those that are supposed to be inside will come inside and everyone else can stay out. We pay for our service, get this literally called prime of first importance in our shipping so that we are the insiders with the company. We pay for premier access to the news so that we can continue regular updates as an insider and know what we need to know. Or how about this one? We ride on airplanes and we sit in the economy seating, if you're like me, looking behind the veil of the curtain that, land, that leads to the land of first class. What must it be like to be up there in the great beyond? To have personal slippers and silverware with your airline food? Oh, to be an insider there. Well, there is a far more important and yet similar theme that we come to today in Scripture. And it is across the story of Scripture. How can we be insiders to a relationship with God? You see, since the fall, we have been put outside of the garden. From the beginning of the Old Testament to the end of the New, we see this theme. That is that we are created and designed in God's image to know God personally and to not be spiritual outsiders in our knowledge of him. But how can we be welcomed in? Today picks up this theme, today's passage picks up this theme that we actually see across scripture as Luke arranges just three different separate episodes in the ministry of Jesus Christ, back to back, which highlight a main character in each of the episodes who is an outsider in the story. And Jesus welcomes the outsider in. This is what I want you to see this morning. You see, with, with tenderness and with authority and with compassion, Jesus welcomes in the unclean, the unable, the unacceptable. Jesus welcomes the outsider in. How does he do this? Let's walk through the text together. We're back in Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 32. It's a long passage today, so I'm just going to read through it in three different episodes and read each section as we get to it. So let's first start with this story of a leper. Follow along as I read verses 12 through 16. There we find, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. 
And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. How does Jesus welcome the insider, the outsider, in? Number one, first we see Jesus cleanses the unclean. Jesus cleanses the unclean. So Jesus here is continuing in his ministry in the towns of Galilee, and it, there came up to him this man with leprosy. Now, leprosy in that day could have been a wide range of contagious skin diseases, but we read this account and realize this was severe. Luke, who is a doctor, you notice there in verse 12, says that this man was full of leprosy. He was, his body was covered with this skin disease. Now, back in Leviticus, especially chapters 13 and 14, if you want to go read them, God's people were taught that an unclean leper was to be excluded from society. They were to be separated because of the contagion of this disease. And they were uh, ceremonially unclean. Lepers were therefore to be ostracized and, and not to be touched. This was certainly a picture for God's people of the effects of sin. Sin stains us before God. Sin makes us unclean. Our sin becomes contagious and risks spreading to other parts of the body. So what does this man do? Verse 1, when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Can you feel the emotion of this moment? This man needed to be cleansed. He was stained, and he needed to be clean. His plea wasn't casual. He, he falls on his face before Jesus. And in humility, he, he begs Christ to cleanse him. He believes that Christ can do it, if he will. I wonder what Jesus' disciples felt like in this moment. I wonder if they instinctively thought to do what I might have done and, and warn Jesus. Stand back, Jesus, watch out. Do you notice? He, he's contagious. Perhaps you can relate. Uh, early in the pandemic, think of when you, you found out that you were with someone who had coronavirus. You immediately start backing away. This person's contagious. What does Jesus do? This, this leper is not sent away. He is not warned about coming too close to the master. No, quite the opposite happens. Jesus is willing to heal him, and not just to heal. Sure, Jesus could have done what we've already been seeing in the book of Luke. He could have spoken, just merely spoken the words, and this man be healed. But no, Jesus surprises us. This time, Jesus stretches out his hand and touches the contagious man. And Jesus touches the untouchable. This man who had been ostracized for so long 
This man who was rightly pushed away because he is unclean. This man who had likely for some time been at a distance from any physical contact was now touched by Jesus. Jesus moves toward the unclean man. Listen to how Dane Ortland writes on the Gospels. He says, The dominant note left ringing in our ears after reading the Gospels, the most vivid and arresting element of the portrait, is the way the holy Son of God moves toward and touches, heals, embraces, and forgives those who least deserve it, yet truly desire it. When Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world around him, his deepest impulse his most natural instinct is to move toward that sin and suffering, not away from it. Can you feel the, the tenderness of this moment? Jesus goes toward the leper. He touches him. But he doesn't leave him unclean. He isn't prolonging the problem. No, God never welcomes sin. Even as he pursues this man, he rids him of the leprosy. Luke records, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean, and immediately the leprosy left him. You see, when Christ meets with the unclean, rather than Christ becoming defiled, they are made clean. And so Jesus says, I will. Literally, as, as others have pointed out, literally this, this word in the Greek means I wish or I desire. I desire to do this. Here we see Jesus' heart's desire. He desires for this man to be free from leprosy. And so in verse 14, Jesus tells him to tell no one, but instead go directly to the priest. Rather than make a show of this miracle, this leper was to follow the law of Moses and show the priest that he was indeed healed. However, we, we continue to read verse 15. It still gains attention and more are brought to be healed by Jesus. Friends, how does Jesus welcome the outsider in? He cleanses the unclean. This picture of just complete tenderness is designed to help show us that Jesus welcomes in those who are stained by sin and its consequences. You see, the Bible clearly teaches that we are stained, that we, are, we, are not merely, we do not merely have this, this external skin disease on us. No, we have an internal sin disease within us. I wonder if some of you today feel stained or embarrassed in the shame of sin that you've done. Perhaps some of you have made shameful choices, choices which you'd prefer to just keep secret, choices which you've done what you know you shouldn't do. This man was full of leprosy. Regardless of how covered in sin you are, Christ has the power to cleanse you. Bring your sin into the light today. Come to Jesus in humility like this man. Find a mature believer and help and let him or her help you turn to Jesus Christ. Jesus cleanses from sin. 
I wonder if, if some of you today have had shameful actions done to you. Perhaps, perhaps you've been sinned against, and it has left you feeling ostracized or perhaps even tainted. You should know today that despite any stain of sin that is committed against you, there is a Savior who is saying, I will. I desire it. I want you to be clean. Let me encourage you here at this church, we have pastors and godly brothers and sisters in Christ who would help you see from the Bible how Jesus cleanses us and makes us new in him. Turn to Christ today. We'll understand even more of this in the next section. Let's continue on. Uh, before we do, notice verse 16 pauses at the beginning of the next story to show Jesus' regular dependence on the Father. Even in the midst of being pursued by the crowds, Jesus stops and prays. His prayer life is not slowed by busyness. No, the needs of the crowd almost seem to lead him towards stepping away to pray more. And then we get to verse 17. Follow along as I read 17 through 26. On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, and picked up what he had been lying on, and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. How? How does Jesus welcome in the outsider? Number two, Jesus forgives the unable. One who is unable to come to Christ, Jesus here forgives. The stage is set. We see in verse 17, the experts of the Mosaic Law were gathered to hear him. We'll get back to them in just a minute. Verse 17, we see that the power of God was with him to heal. We'll get back to that in a minute. And so there he was, teaching in a house, and the, the crowds were filling in around him, so much so that no one could get in. Mark's account tells us that many were gathered together, and there was no more room in this house, not even at the door. So into that scene, here come these men, bringing their, their paralyzed friend to see Jesus, and they couldn't reach him. Just, just imagine you're in that house. Imagine the surprise of the moment as you're li listening to the greatest teacher that you've ever heard in your whole life teach. And as his teaching, the ceiling starts to be pulled apart. And, and dust and dirt kind of start to 
filtered through and maybe some rays of sun. And, and then tiles are getting taken apart. This, this must have been a commotion at that moment as a hole was torn in the roof, big enough to let a man on a mat down in. Certainly, Jesus must have remained calm. Perhaps he paused his teaching. He must have allowed them to go about their task and just watched, not, not rebuked them for such an audacious interruption. These men were insistent. They knew their friend must see Jesus. Imagine him being lowered down in front of Jesus. The crowd at this point just must have been on edge. What is he going to say now? What is he going to do with this? How would he handle this moment? Then, when that complete surprise of this man literally just coming through the roof is kind of completed and he lands, something even more astonishing happens. Jesus initiates an even bigger surprise for those that will listen. He doesn't heal the man. Instead, verse 20, he says, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. How unexpected. This man is there to be healed. That's what Jesus has been doing, right? He's the healer. That's what he does. But no, instead, he makes this statement of, of just profound proportions. And the teachers of the law know it. So they, they quietly think to themselves, who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Friends, they are right that only God alone can forgive sins. The psalmist says, O Lord, speaking of Yahweh, with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Our sin is against God fundamentally. And only he can forgive our sins. C.S. Lewis, by the way, is really helpful in this point. He reflects so well on what's happening here. He says this. He says, think about the claim to forgive sins, any sins. Now, unless the speaker is God, this is really so preposterous as to be comic. We can all understand how a man forgives offenses against himself. You tread on my toes, and I forgive you. You steal my money, and I forgive you. But what should we make of a man himself unrobbed and untrodden on, who announces that he forgave you for treading on another man's toes and stealing another man's money. Foolish pointlessness is the kindest description we should give to his conduct. Yet this is what Jesus did. He told people that their sins were forgiven and never waited to consult all the other people whom their sins had undoubtedly injured. He unhesitatingly behaved as if he was the party chiefly concerned, the person chiefly offended in all offenses. This makes sense only if he really was the God whose laws are broken and whose love is wounded in every sin. Jesus could forgive because Jesus is God. Will you admit that today about Jesus Christ? Will you turn to him? Church, notice also the problem here that Jesus first addresses is not the first problem that the paralytic sees. Just, just imagine it with me. The, the, the man is lying there on the mat, 
in the middle of this crowd of people, and imagine what must be going through his head. If he's anything like me, he's saying, thanks, teacher, but I can't walk. I came here because I have a walking problem, not a sin problem. This man knows he is physically unable to enter, but Jesus sees a spiritual outsider. This paralytic can't get into the door of the house. And Jesus sees another eternal door that he can't get into. This man's sin needs to be forgiven. As one brother pointed out this week while we're reading this text together, we often don't know what our greatest need is. And yet our Savior does. Beloved, this should encourage us. We who wonder what God is doing in the midst of our pain and our suffering should take hope in this. Next time you find yourself lying on the floor on your mat, pray that you will see the greater things that God is doing in your life than merely restoring your health. Beloved, this should also shape our prayer requests with each other. So if you're on the uh, Saturday morning men's group that meets to pray and talk with one another, or if you're in the Wednesday evening ladies group, or if you're in one of the many informal groups that meet in our church together for prayer, you should think about your greatest needs before God, which might not be natural to you. David Powelson writes of how the Bible's prayers are, are rarely about our health and about traveling mercies and finances or doing well in a test. No, so often what the Bible teaches us to pray about are our troubles or our unholy desires or trusting God in his promises. So what would it look like next time someone asks you for a prayer request for you to say something like this? Well, I've been walking through some health problems and I let myself worry instead of trusting God's plan. Would you pray that my faith in God's goodness and sovereignty will grow? Or what if you said, you know, I'm, I'm traveling to visit family this week, and I often get irritated with my family, so would you pray that I'll be more patient when I'm around my family? Or what if you said, you know, I've had a lot on my mind lately, and I've just been inattentive and irritable to those nearest to me. Pray that I would grow to be a kind person. Friends, my point is this. This passage shows us a Savior who refocuses our attention on what is spiritually most important. Not just the needs of our physical bodies, although those matter to him, but the needs of our spiritual walk with him. Let me, let me just point out one other thing which is too good to miss. Notice verse 20. Did you see that it says Jesus sees their faith? These men seem to be believing together with the man on the mat. So they together brought him to Christ. What a beautiful illustration of corporate prayer this is. When you pray with other members of this church in a small group or as a church as a whole, you are together doing the same thing. We are in faith bringing people to Christ. This is why every Sunday we have a, a corporate prayer petition together before our sermon. This is why you should come tonight and join with the saints in praying to God together. All right, back to the story. Jesus forgives the man. 
who is unable to walk. And, and the teachers of the law there are silently questioning. And so Jesus then surprises them again. He, Luke is careful to note, and Mark's account is even more clear, that they didn't speak. That their, their skepticism and their unbelief were thoughts in their hearts. Jesus perceived their thoughts. The God who created their mind read their mind. And verse 23 says, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say rise and walk? Well, the answer is both are miraculous, but one is just immediately visible. So, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. So, in order to reveal his true authority over sin, Jesus gives this, this visual demonstration. He commands the man to rise and walk, and immediately he rose before them. He, he gathered his bed, and he went home. There's no question in the house that day of Jesus' power. It seized them all, verse 26. Because I believe they realized what this meant. The crowd was just left with this choice. If Jesus could heal so immediately and thoroughly, was what he said true? Could he also forgive sin? Beloved, he can, and he does. Let's continue to the third episode. Look down at verse 27. Follow along with me as I read. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, just a bit of background here. The, the Jewish people in this area of Galilee at this time were under Roman occupation. So the, the Romans would tax the empire, and they would do this by employing what was commonly a, a Jewish person, a Jewish man who would live among his people and collect taxes on behalf of the Romans. And in return, this job would, would have its benefits. It was, it was lucrative, and there was plenty of opportunity for, for cheating or for lining one's pockets. Additionally, this job was especially disdained, and you could just imagine why. It wasn't just for the corruption and the extortion that would occur, but also because this Jew holding this position was essentially aiding the occupying forces. This job was for a traitor who had the power and backing of the Romans and yet effectively was turning on his own people. And so how does Jesus welcome the outsider in? Number three, we see he calls the unaccepted. He calls the unaccepted. Specifically, he calls this man into relationship and repentance relationship and repentance. Friends, if this call doesn't make you a bit uncomfortable, 
then you might not be reading this closely enough. There aren't many parallels to this today. Uh, perhaps you could think of, I don't know, an, an IRS agent. No one likes IRS agents, right? It's not, our, it's not a love position, but this is worse. Think of a corrupt IRS agent. And then maybe think of one that you grew up with from your own town, who then goes off and in his corruption begins working for a foreign power. And then he does this shamelessly, with impunity. And, and you can't stop him. You, you can feel this guttural, like, detest for such a man. Or perhaps if you, if you follow politics, regardless of your opinions, which regardless of where you lie, think of whoever in your mind is a disgraceful or corrupt politician. Someone that you just don't have respect for. Well, this role of tax collector was more odious, more disgraceful. And this is the man that Jesus called to follow him. Levi is there, like sitting in his tax booth, the center of this corrupt dealings. And Jesus sees him there, and this master, this rabbi, this good teacher, sees him and says in front of all the people, you follow me. And leaving everything behind, he rose and followed him. Jesus calls the unaccepted. And, and notice it, it did require repentance. He left everything that day. Similar to the fisherman we talked about last week, this man left his livelihood. And then he throws Jesus a feast. The theme of, of bringing friends to Jesus, by the way, is just continuing here. We saw it with the paralytic, the men coming and, and bringing their friend to Jesus. Here, the tax collector throws a feast of all his friends and brings Jesus into the middle of it. And it's rather unusual meal to imagine this good rabbi coming to, but Jesus attends. And it's filled with those now who are just not respected and not respectable. Friends, I think here, just by the way, a side point, I think Levi is modeling for us something we see common across the Bible. That is, that biblical hospitality is welcoming in others in a way that mirrors how Jesus welcomes us in. Let me say that again. Biblical hospitality is welcoming in others in a way that mirrors how Jesus welcomes us in. I wonder if you open your home like this. Levi not only follows Jesus, he turns and he, he invites others to come and follow Jesus, to come and hear this teacher. Uh, Pastor Caleb made this comment to me as we were looking over this text. He said, do your friends and your well co-workers know what your living room looks like? That's a good question. Do you, do you use your home? Do you use your backyard? Do you use your social networks to show the welcoming love of Jesus Christ? Friends, we welcome others in because Christ has welcomed us in. Sadly, the, the Pharisees and the scribes thought this whole scene was just over the top. If Jesus were a good man, he would keep his distance from these people. This was too far. And so in verse 30, we see that they grumbled, they, they murmured. We get this idea that we will either be a sinner needing grace or a self-righteous Pharisee judging others. Those are the two positions that we see 
Jesus's pursuit of the sinner was just too audacious for them. It left them uncomfortable. And so the passage ends with Jesus giving one of his more famous statements. Look at verse 31 and 32, refresh with me. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I wonder which group you fall into today. Friends, these are the words of a great high priest. These are the words of one who is bringing those who are outside of God's presence to the inside. So to those of us who know we are sinners, the call here is to repentance and to faith. Jesus is unafraid to come to us in our sin, but he does not accept our sin. He does not accept their sin. The, the leper must still be cleansed of his leprosy. The paralytic must still be forgiven. The tax collectors must repent. So we find this hope for repentance in the gospel. Friends, if you're here today and this is new for you, this is the message of Christianity, that we were created to know God and to submit to his good design. And yet all of us, every single one of us, is stained by sin. We are the ones who are traitors to him, tax collectors. We are the ones who can't get in the door. We can't even walk towards him. We are the ones that are just covered head to toe with sin. The good news of the gospel is that while we were in that position, God sent his son Jesus Christ for us. Christ lived the life that we could not live. He died in our place. The death you deserve to die. He died. And then he was buried and he rose again. He conquered death. And he invites all who would believe in him to be united to him in this by faith alone. So I encourage you, be an insider to this good news. Don't stand on the outside, but repent and come to Christ. There is a, a second group here and a warning that comes with it. It's those that are in verse 32 told they are righteous. I think we could accurately say self-righteous. Regardless of where you are today, check your heart. Is there any self-righteousness in you? Do you see yourself in the place of need or in the place of the Pharisees? You see, this, this passage ends with this sober warning to any of us who think we don't fully have a need for a physician. To those who are in that place, the great physician will pass them by. In 2013 through 2017, there was an epidemic of the Ebola virus that swept across West Africa. Now, Ebola fatality rates were typically 50 to 60% of those who were infected with the disease. In, in several of the countries, the best estimates are 90% of those infected died from this contagious disease. E Ebola was just indisputably fatal, and it was being spread among the poor villages in Africa. Its symptoms were unfortunately delayed 
meaning Africans who were in Guinea and Congo, had trouble believing the evidence that they would need any help. Sadly, at a key point in the epidemic, physicians went and were present in Africa. But denial swept across the, trial, the tribes. They denied that they needed the physician's help. So physicians went out, and they were actually attacked by groups of men armed with knives and machetes. They insisted they needed no help from these aid workers. They did not need a physician. They were well. They did not see the evidence that they would die. And yet, they died. Beloved, Jesus Christ is the great physician who has come to make any clean who will come to him. He's come to offer forgiveness to all. He's come to offer us the opportunity to repent and follow him. And the only ones who will get no help from this physician are those who in their own self-righteousness have no need of him. Do you see yourself in need of Christ today? Don't stand on the outside questioning like the Pharisees. Turn to him. Turn to him daily. Turn to him constantly in your sin struggle and your need. Look to Jesus Christ, for he is our hope in life and death. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you for the work of Jesus Christ. We thank you that he cleanses us in our sin. Father, I pray for those who are here today who, who need to be cleansed by Christ. Father, for those who might need to turn to him for the first time, I pray that you would call them to yourself. Father, for those who, who need to understand and experience the freedom and the cleansing power of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would work. Father, for those of us who are tempted toward areas of our life where there, are, there is self-righteousness, where there are corners of our hearts where we see ourselves as superior or deserving, Father, remind us afresh of our need for Christ and our need for him in every area of our lives. We pray this today in the name of Jesus Christ.